Hear the word of the Lord from Acts 9, 1 through 6. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. These words are true. And they can be trusted. trusted. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And I am so grateful for your grace. Uh, Lord, I, I just want to, in gratitude, I want to thank you for all of the amazing things that have happened over the last couple of weeks. I think about uh, the North Pole event and connecting with, man, so many families and the wonderful leaders like Karen and Jess who have put all that together. God, I want to thank you deeply, um, even for the Christmas Eve service on, or Christmas Eve service, it wasn't on Christmas Eve, that they had down on Thursday night at our Garfield Park location already beginning that, and baptism, and just the stories, and Kathy Howie and her team, and it's just so amazing. I pray you continue to bless that. Lord, I want to thank you deeply, um, God, man, for even the Hark event that they had last night. And I think of Peter and his crew that put that on and ministering to people in the inner city of Indianapolis. What a wonderful thing. Lord, I want to thank you so much for Andy and the church plant out in Westfield and all that you're doing with them. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that we were able, man, to just continue to grow in that way. I want to thank you so much for our campus across town over Olio Road and how you're moving there, Lord God. And families closer to you. I want to thank you for Pastor Com Tinook and our service that we do with the refugees, that at this time they are able to just experience a love and freedom, um, that they literally know what life is like without it. God, I even want to thank you so deeply for our child care ministries and uh, our, our, our emphasis on a lot of Latino families, even here in this congregation, at this location, especially at the 11 o'clock hour and the bilingual service. God, just so many things just to be so grateful for. I thank you for the decisions for Jesus. I thank you for the families that you're restoring. I thank you for the healings of, that you've had, even with people physically. God, just all, all across, I'm so grateful for your grace. And I even pray right now in this early service as we begin your work today. If you would, just in a spirit of prayer, just ask, say, God, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Pray for the people around you, your kids, kids for your parents with your friends, if you're sitting with your friends, even if you don't know the people, just ask God, speak to them. In your wonderful name, Jesus, I ask that you would also speak through me. Let me do nothing more than make you ever more famous and known. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. You guys are great. You can have a seat. Uh, Josh, thank you for leading worship. I appreciate you and your team. You guys do a great job. And, uh, and it's good to get to be here with you all, too. 
on this uh, first service, first service. I love it. And so hopefully you've had your coffee. We're going to grow together. I'm excited about that. I love you. I love that you're a part of this greater Trinity movement. Um, I love all the little services that we do uniquely for people around the city. It's a beautiful thing. Family churches, we love those. Uh, If you would... um, Come with me back into our series, just even in your mind. So what we've been doing this Advent, which is a little bit different, um, usually when we go through the Advent season, and as I've taught through it over the last number of years, uh, I usually teach through Advent, of course, looking at the narrative. So usually it's the 400 years of silence leading up to, you know, the calling of Christ, the Messiah is going to come, the preparing of the way, and then ultimately even Jesus in Bethlehem. And I love that, that chain of stories, that narrative. This time what we're doing is we're looking at post-ascension, the second waiting that we are in. And so now, again, we are in a season of waiting where we're waiting for Christ's second coming. Who here is ready for Jesus to come back? Like you watch the news, you're thinking, you know what, Lord? If you wouldn't mind coming, now's not a bad time, right? Like we're in a season of waiting again. And so learning from God's initial work in his first coming, what does it look like to wait well? What systems, what ways of living, what values of life, what focuses should we have as we learn to wait well? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this. We wait well by growing. We're going to see this clearly today. We wait well in another season of Advent waiting. We wait well by growing personally with Jesus, relationally with others, and by actively representing Jesus to those around us. This is a rubric that you see all through the New Testament narrative as Jesus, through the disciples, through a lot of even the prophetic work made clear through the disciples in the New Testament, this is a primary rubric that is often delivered to people. And there's a little bit of pressure to lean into this. We wait well by growing personally with Jesus, relationally with others, and actively representing Jesus to those around us. Our text this morning is going to be the conversion of Saul. And it was read, part of it was read earlier. It's such a large section of scripture. Bear with me as I just kind of share the story rather than read all of Acts 8, 9, 10, the larger section. So I'm just going to share it as a narrative. It's 35 AD. Jesus has already ascended back up into heaven. The final days of Christ on the planet are so significant. And he met with so many people. I mean, even historians outside of Christian history. So if you read like Tacitus, Josephus, and other historians, they talk about this miracle worker and the unbelievable mark he made on humanity. And so as he ascends up into heaven, enough people watch this his movement begins to take off like fire. In fact, they call it the way. It's not even called Christianity in the same way that we call it yet, though they are little Christians. That term will stick in a significant way very soon. And the religious leaders are doing everything they can to stop this, and and they literally can't. I mean, it reminds me as a kid, I uh, was, this is terrible, I've shared this story before, but I I was playing with matches in a dry field down in Oklahoma, and I remember a little fire started on the ground. I shouldn't have been playing with matches, you know, the Smokey the Bear was right, don't play with matches. But I remember stepping on it in those dry fields And it just expanded bigger and you try to stomp it out and it grows bigger. This is what's happening to Christianity. They can't put it out. It's just growing faster and faster and faster and faster. The lawyers, the religious lawyers, 
have been in debate after debate after debate, putting pressure on them, trying to fight against this Christian movement. And there's this pinnacle spot, story, event that happens in history, and it's actually documented in Acts 7. There's a guy by the name of Stephen, and Stephen makes the case in this powerful sermon narrative proving that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that we are saved through him and by his work. And the religious leaders, they've been trying so hard, they're exhausted, they're out of gas, they move from mere debates, and all of a sudden, it becomes violent. They kill him. After they kill Stephen, I, I mean, if we could go back in time and look at it, I'm sure it was kind of a rattling moment for all that are present because it's been a lot of debating up until this point and the religious leaders get so intense, they actually kill him and it's probably like, whoa, what, what just happened? Like all of a sudden this anti-Christian movement takes on a whole new level. On the outside of it, there is a man by the name of Saul and Saul is a young, brilliant, passionate lawyer. Saul takes it upon himself in this moment and the passion of the stoning of Stephen, and he readjusts even his internal effort to stop Christianity, and he becomes like the bad guy against Christians, the bad guy, the one that is hunting them down, literally hunting them down to put them in jail, to punish them, or ultimately even to kill them. One day, well, Saul is on journey to go do exactly that, per the scripture we just read earlier today. He's traveling with his anti-Christian special forces law unit and as he's traveling down the road a bright light appears halts this group and a voice speaks to Saul in a powerful way and says this Jesus says to Saul why are you persecuting and then this this word this next word is so important why are you persecuting he doesn't say why are you persecuting other Christians, he says, why are you persecuting me? See, here's the crazy thing. Jesus makes it personal. And the rubric that you find all through the New Testament is Jesus always makes faith personal. He's always making faith personal. So this bright light shines and all of a sudden this miraculous thing happens but it's not like a fun miraculous thing he is struck blind i mean god knew to really get his hands around saul who will be called also paul and become the author of most of the new testament god knew it was going to take even a greater rattling than just this and so literally strikes him blind Saul finds himself in great need and God comes in a vision to another guy by the name of Ananias who is a follower of Jesus. And he says to Ananias, he's like, hey, listen, uh, this is not exactly how God does the vision. Just bear with me. This is the Mike version. He's like, yo, Ananias, there's this dude, Saul, and I want you to go over and I want you to meet with him. And when you meet with him, I want you to lay hands on him and pray for him. And Ananias is like, whoa, 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 hold on. Is this the Saul? Like the one who hunts Christians, the one who kills Christians, the, the one who is like the bad guy 
to me and my people? And God's like, yeah, that's the one. I want you to go meet with him. And he's like, okay. Jesus says to Ananias, go lay hands on him so he might see Acts 9, 12. See, here's the deal. Jesus makes it relational. But the reality is Jesus always makes faith relational. He always makes faith relational. And then while Ananias is on the way, Jesus reveals to Ananias, then ultimately to Saul, who is also Paul, he reveals that he will be a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel in Acts 9, 15. See, this is the crazy thing. Jesus invites them to participate. Jesus always makes faith about, he always does. Listen, I'm going to say this a few times today. If you have grown up in the church and you're like, man, every time I go to church, every time I even download a sermon, every time I always feel like there's pressure to engage. Yes. Yes. It's been that way from the beginning. God didn't just save Saul so Saul didn't have to go to hell. He saved Saul and put him to work. He's always doing that. He's always doing that. Maybe a really clear way to say it would be this. God will make your faith personal. He will. Like between him, you and the Lord, he's going to make it personal. He's going to make your faith relational between you and others. There's going to be pressure for you to engage and interact with other people. How can you practice charitable love? The Trinity itself, Father, Son, the Spirit, the grand family that starts all of it. The practice of Christianity, it is, it is relational. And he will also invite you to participate. That's the grand rubric. That's the grand rubric. A couple of other things that we need to take note of with the conversion of Saul the first one will be this. I want you to notice the forgiveness from Jesus is, it's instant. The forgiveness from Jesus is instant. But, 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 but the making of a great leader takes. The forgiveness is instant, but the making of a great leader takes time. So if you're here and you're like, man, I love Jesus, but like I'm still working through things and God's still growing in my heart and there are moments where it's really hard and, and I'm still like, I think I'm doing really, I don't know if you ever had these moments where it's like, man, I really feel like I'm honoring God well. And then something happens or something rises up in you or you get cut off in traffic and you just spew all this stuff. And then after it's over, you're thinking, whoa, where did that come from? You ever had that happen? And you're like, wow, God still has a work to do in me. Yes. His forgiveness is instant, but the making of a great leader is going to take time. This is going to be true of Paul. It's going to be true of the rubric for how God saves people. And it's also going to be true of you. He's going to keep growing you up. He just will. Another thing I would say is this. We all will have our faith become personal, relational, and active. That's true. However, Jesus often calls us to unique people. Um, if you've been in the church very long, you know this is a huge passion of mine. I want you to own your conviction, not give it away. I want you to own your conviction, not give it away. What I mean by that is, for some of you in this room, you absolutely are loving Jesus. I mean, this is first hour Sunday morning of all of our services, right? Like, I mean, you guys are the ones that got up extra earlier yet to come to church, right? 
you already are living your Christian faith in a way that is relatively personal, relatively relational, and it's fairly active. And God has given you a passion for a specific group of people or a, a specific kind of ministry. So for some of you, it might be like, man, I have a deep heart for the poor, working with the poor down in Indianapolis. Like maybe you want to do like the Thursday night work. Kathy, Kathy, I thought I saw her today. Where are you at, Kathy? So maybe you're like, that's Kathy's ministry is my heart. And I would love, I love being down there with her. I love making meals for the poor. I love, it's, that's your heart. Maybe for some of you, it's like refugees. Pastor Common, our service that we do for the refugees in Indianapolis, like, that's your heart. Maybe for some of you, it's like children's ministry. That's your heart. You're like, if we don't, we know, I've seen the stats. If they don't really come to know Jesus in their young years, it's much more difficult as they age and get older. That's your heart. For some of you, it's maybe teenagers and student, student ministry. For some, all across the board, you have different passions that God has put in you in how you're going to make your faith personal, relational, and active. Here's the crux of it. If you feel a conviction and you come up to me and you're like, you need to do A, B, and C, I'm probably going to respond with, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to own your own conviction. Maybe it's God speaking to you to get involved with children's ministry, youth ministry, downtown ministry, the poor, the immigrants, the refugees, God's speaking to you. So what we want to do as an organization is we want to provide avenues for you to walk down, not places for you to get mad. And then when you feel convicted, you're like, man, that church ought to do more. You are the church. You're to do what God has convicted you to do. Ooh, good morning. You're the church. You're to do what God has convicted you to do. It is our job as a grand system to give you avenues to do it, but it's your job to do it. So what we do is we create opportunity. You can literally serve and make meals. I mean, Kathy, you guys have made tens of thousands of meals. and give down. Who knows over the last number of years? Or serve with the refuge. You want to go down? Even in Trinity, you can go down. You could go down today and shake hands with a refugee who's come from a war-torn country who's worshiping Jesus. You could do it. If that's your conviction and you own it. If you want to serve in youth ministry, children's ministry, it's our job to create avenues, but you got to own your conviction. Don't give it away. You're the church. You're the church. Uh, the other thing I would say too, as we look at this, and this goes into Saul really clearly, God didn't tame Saul. He didn't tame Saul. He aimed him. Do you know this? Like, Saul was just as passionate, just as brilliant, just as driven before Jesus. After Jesus, like so before Jesus and after Jesus, he's the same personality, he's just aimed rightly. When you become an active follower of Jesus, he aims your uniqueness. God's goal isn't to turn you off, it's to direct you well. Now, yes, Absolutely, absolutely. There are times when you have something unique about you that is not God honoring and God's going to have to work that out and deal with the sin. That's true. But your personality type, your natural gifting, how God crafted you, like God made that in you and you've been aiming it wrong. He wants to help you aim it right. He wants to aim you, aim you. Maybe just a couple ways to think about it. Like if you are a business leader, I've met people like this. Um, where they just, they see systems in business. I've, I've, we have people in our church that are this way. 
Uh, my brother is this way. He's an incredible business leader. Like he just looks at like organizational systems and things that I am totally blind to. He'll be like, why do you do that? And why don't you do it this way? And I'm thinking, oh, that's a good idea. If you're a natural business leader, you see systems and structure. It's like how you're made, do it for the glory of God. If you're really good at making money, I mean, seriously, how many people here, it's like every time I try to start a side hustle, don't raise your hands. Every time you try to start a side hustle, every time you try to make money, it just like never works. You're thinking, you know what? I read about these guys that are going to be like day traders. That's what I'm going to do. And then you day trade till your wife gets mad at you and then you have to stop doing it, right? Like some of you, most of us are bad at these things, but some of you God is literally gifted with a unique intuition and brilliance and you could just make money. Instead of coming to the pastor and saying things like reductive comments, you know, God's really blessed me financially. 10%, like that's what I'm supposed to do. Is that like net or gross? Instead of thinking reductive, think like this. You know what? I want to be a fire hose of provision for God's kingdom. Would you pray with me that God would open up the skies cattle on a thousand hills. It all belongs to him anyways. I don't want to think how little I can do with what God gifted me. I want to become an engine that launches ministries and sends missionaries and provides. I want to become an engine of God's grace. So would you pray with me that God would take my gifting that he gave me and on steroids to the, can I say on steroids? I don't know. To the next level, I want to take it to the next level that I could become an engine to do even more. Stop thinking reductive. See your uniqueness and lean into it for the glory of God. Do you see the difference? That's the difference. Praise God, God gave you that gift. Let's change the world with it. Pray that God would do even more. Pray God would make you even better at day trading, though it's just gambling to me, I don't understand it. But for some of you, whatever it is, however your investments are, I don't know. If God's gifted you in those ways, great. Pray that he would do even more so you could do even more. Use your uniqueness. Stop thinking reductive. For some of you out there, you might be an athlete. You might be a chef. You might be an introverted knitter. Do it to the glory of God. In fact, Kathy, you could probably, I'm gonna, since you're in this service, I'm going to keep picking on you. I'm so sorry. Kathy, you could use some knitted hats for homeless people downtown. If you're just like a ninja, and you're introverted, then do it and pray over them and pray. Whoever gets this knitted hat that I give to the downtown location, God work in their lives, do it to the glory of God. You see what I'm saying? Aim your uniqueness. I'm going to invite Josh up and I want to pull some of these ideas together here. If you feel, and and I know on a Sunday, like if you feel pressure, because here's the truth. Paul felt pressure. to make his faith very personal. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? To make your faith relational. God spoke to Ananias and said, go to Paul. I am going to heal Paul with your involvement. I'm not bypassing Ananias. I'm going to include Ananias. Did you know that God's going to, God wants to include you in his good work? How awesome that he gives us that kind of purpose. He could skip all of us. But instead, he includes us for our own benefit. 
If you feel pressure to make your faith personal, relational, and active, right? And then ultimately, God's going to show Paul that he will take his name to people groups, the Gentiles especially, to kings. If you feel pressure that that may actually be the beckoning of the Holy Spirit, don't run from it, lean into it. Lean into it. And, and, and I get it. Like, I mean, um, I think a lot of people sit at this level in Christianity and where you've accepted, especially if you're coming to church, you've accepted a level of belief, right? Like you believe Jesus is a Christ, son, living God. You've, many of you, most of you, even in this room, have received him as your Lord and Savior. Your real fight is over who your life belongs to. And so when you come to church, and it may even annoy you. In fact, maybe you're, maybe you're even the kind of person that like you hop from church. You go to a church until you feel like there's too much pressure to get involved or there's too much pressure to... You know, time, talent, treasure. There's too much pressure. They're always putting pressure on me. And you hop to another church until you feel the pressure. And then you hop to another. And then you try to find a church that has the lowest pressure. And you're like, this feels right. I want to be mad at all the things the church should do, but not help myself at all. Did you know that, I mean, pastor loves you, by the way. Pastor really loves you. I'm gonna, now that I'm preaching this, I, pre, I practiced it like three times, but now that I'm preaching it out loud, it's way stronger than I, so I, I might need to, I, I get to preach this a bunch more times, so I'll, I gotta be gentle, think gentle, think gentle. If you listen to messages and you feel a little pressure to make your faith personal, to make your faith more relational? Why are they always wanting me to get into a small group? Why are they always wanting me to, why do they always want me to go? Or to, to be more active, why are they always calling me to serve? Stop getting mad at the pastor for doing what he's supposed to do and wrestle with the inner conviction that you might actually feel. If I stop trying to make your faith more personal, relational, and active, I stop doing this. I can't stop doing this. One of the, in the post-COVID world, one of the things that I get asked a lot, a lot, I just posted on this on uh, social media the other day. Uh, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, Pastor Mike, what do you think about online church? Who dare I risk this response? Uh, I, truth be told, I think it can be a really great tool. I mean, I do. We talked about this a lot, Josh. Like, it can be a wonderful supplemental tool. We have, we have shut in people that are elderly, and literally the way that they can participate with our service is digitally. Praise God. It, it can be a wonderful tool. Um, the online service is great when people travel. A lot of our people will stay up with the services traveling. Uh, we have people that work 
uh, in jobs that require them to be like on call so they can't come on a Sunday once in a while and they use the online service to supplement that. That's wonderful. The, the online thing is a wonderful supplemental tool. Supplemental tool. But God is obsessed with making our faith personal, relational, and active. So you can't only be downloading if you're not participating somewhere. Uh, if you've been in the church very long, you know I, I like poetry. I do a lot of poetry. And uh, I don't even necessarily think that I'm good at it. I just like doing it. I like turns of phrase. I like words. I like streaming them together. I like making people think. And so in my personal journal, I responded to this thought, what do I think of online service, with a, with a poem, pseudo-spoken word thing. And so uh, is, is it cool if I share it with you? I mean, like when I go into my journal, I feel like, I'm going to share it. So let me, let me share this poem that I wrote in response to this idea. I want to share it with you. Um, Good luck in the back on the slides. Just kind of follow along with me as best as you can. I have all the words, and so I'm going to slow it down uh, a little bit. And I, I, want, I really want you to pay attention to what's on the screen. So hear me, but read carefully. That's why I love poetry. Poetry gives me a chance to be ultra precise. Real relationships are his priority. Incarnate, God comes to me. Messiah, he's the way we are free. Emmanuel, real relationships are his priority. Real relationships are his priority. Think about it. Jesus, let Mary hold him. Jesus, let Joseph console him. Think of how many meals were made where people sat before him. Real relationships are his priority. If all you know of practicing your faith can be downloaded and put on play, you are missing the incarnate point. From Trinitarian family and for family, you were made. Your church is supposed to be your big family and your family a little church. They don't compete, they complement. His blood was spent for both gifts to give you worth. Through most of Christian history, phrases like, I never met my pastor, if I'm gone, no one would notice, weren't things you'd really say, because church wasn't merely a place of ideas raised, but where his ideas were practiced and embraced. Real relationships always been his priority. In the same way porn separates us from real sex, relationship-less Christianity is so much less. You can't simply download intimacy. We were crafted to be intimate. See, deep down we know we don't fix lonely by simply reading about relationships. If people don't know your name and story, real relations slip. God knew this all along. That's why Jesus came to talk or to walk with man, to talk with man, to actually engage. Imagine being in the crowds as Jesus' hillsung words were sown. Are you the one curiously in the back but unwilling to be known? 
Imagine saying you follow Jesus, but you, his followers, don't even know. How do you disciple that? How do you disciple those who only download? Don't love the ideas of Jesus, but reject the incarnate way. With deep compassion, I'll say, for many complex reasons, you have kept your name and story at bay. Just know the enemy wants you that way. Choosing to ignore your deepest design desires doesn't rescue your heart. They simply starve your soul until you further fall apart. Incarnate, God comes to me. Messiah, he's the way we are free. Emmanuel, real relationships are his priority. Real relationships are his priority. Does a pastor know your name? Does he only want fame? Does your worship leader love being worshiped or worship with you as we marvel at God's shaping work? I have a feeling, I have a feeling, I have a feeling there will be a rise of the simple local church when people begin to realize you can't download what church is really worth. Incarnate God comes to me. Messiah, he's the way we are free. Emmanuel, real relationships are his priority. Real relationships are his priority. If you would, grab the next steps card that are in the back of the chair in front of you. Just pull it out. And I have a question, just a question I want you to consider this morning. A question I want you to consider this morning. What? I, I put the word simple in there, but maybe that was a bad word choice. I don't know. What simple step could you take to make your relationship with Jesus more personal, relational, or active? Like just take a moment this morning and just pray, Lord, speak to me. Is there anything, any way you want me to respond that might make this more personal, any way you want me to respond that might help us be more relational or even more hands-on active. And I just want to let it sit. Whatever the Spirit prompts in your heart, respond. Just respond. I love you. I love that God lets me be your pastor. Take some time, be with the Spirit. What is he speaking into your heart?